Hey, welcome to episode 96 of Tommy G Talks. In this episode, I speak to Pezza from Pezza's Street Soccer and Pezza's Events. Uh, Pezza, aka Perry, is a friend of mine. He's also a client of mine who I've been helping this year uh, with his business, with a few things. Um, and he's also someone who cares very deeply, not just about football, which is what he coaches and the business that he's, uh, businesses that he's built are centered around football development, He's also a scout for Southampton Football Club, um, but not just football, he's also passionate about the development of young people. And so in this podcast, we talk a little bit about that, his philosophy, some of his stories and experiences of working at Premier League football clubs, um, and we just go a little deeper into the topic and how parents should be when it comes to their kids playing and you know wanting the best for them, but not making all their decisions uh, based on their life point of view rather than the kids so anyway i hope you enjoy this one jump straight in and let me know what you think on social media instagram or twitter at tommy gentleman and uh yeah let's get stuck in without further ado here is episode 96 welcome to tommy g talks It's awesome to have you here Thank because you. we've known each other for a long time. We have. We've played football in the same team together. Yes. Yeah, we had some good times. We did. They're the best bits. To be, they're the bits you yeah. remember. Yeah. You remember winning the odd thing. We were quite good. We won a cup. We, we did win a cup. Yeah, it was a good night as well. Yeah, it's good. We had a great night out in Nottingham. We went I out remember. in Nottingham. That was good fun. Yeah, I was talking about that just the other day. Were you? It's the worst hangover I think I've ever had. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty good. Yeah. It was pretty good. Um, so that's one reason to be excited for you being here today. And obviously the mm-hmm. listeners who weren't um, playing for FC Chew or didn't come on <laughs> the, the trip to Nottingham they wouldn't necessarily find that interesting, um, but what they will like to know is uh, a little bit more about you, what you do, um, and why you do what it. What do I do? Um, <clears throat> well, I run two companies, one called Pezza's Sports Limited, and one called Pezza's Holiday Camps and Events. Okay, um, mainly I run a soccer school called Pezza Street Soccer, which fits under the Pezza Street Sports banner, um, and then we do holiday camps. And different events um, for children, um, pretty much in the school holidays. Although we have got um, like a, a theatre show coming up, Football Magic Live, so we do other different sort of events as well. Um, but predominantly, I'm a football coach. Yeah. Um, that was my passion, as you know. Football has always been my passion, um, and it was basically how can I keep doing what I love um, and make my living from it. Sure. And that's the route I went down. Yeah. I mean, when you when you hear you're saying that now mm-hmm. about making a living and <laughs> you know, if it was that, Pez, if it was about making a living, you would not do some of the extra creative things that you do and the no. and the innovative things that you have done and continue to do within the football world, because you'd just be sticking to doing coaching. You'd be doing it yourself. You wouldn't have a team. You, you know, you wouldn't be doing those things. But you've always had that hunger to test yourself I think is the right way of putting yeah. it um, tell us a bit about that mate um, so it's, um, firstly with the passion side of it if you've got to run your own business and I always tell this to the, my coaches and, and, and kids that you have to be passionate about what you decide you want to do if it's business 
because it's hard, mm. as you know. Mm. Um, and it's that passion that gets you through the hard bits. Um, so if I wasn't passionate about football and the coaching and what I wanted to, to give, then I wouldn't be doing it now because mm-hmm. you, you know, would have quit at the first sort of obstacles and hurdles and there have been a lot of them. Yeah. Um, so that that's the first part. The, what you just said there is something that is echoing a lot on this podcast recently okay. with guests, right? Which is that you have to test yourself to know. Yeah. And that whatever happens next, at least you can hold your head up to say that you've done it and that you've yeah. given it a go and, and you've got no regrets. Um, you know, we've heard it from other sources, but I think that philosophy is so important in life um, and in business. You yeah. have to be able to take risks because you're never really going to know the answer until you do it. Yeah. And if you can extract a learning from it, if it doesn't quite go to plan, then you've still kind of succeeded in a weird way. How does how's that philosophy affected you in your life? Like, we can talk all day about when it's gone right, but what about when it hasn't? Wow. Wow, that hasn't. Um, firstly, go back to your risk-taking. Um you can't get anywhere if you don't take risks and you can't get anywhere if you don't fail. So whatever you decide you want to do or what you want to get good at or what you want to be successful at, you need to know you're going to fail a lot if you're going to get to that that end bit. It's part of the process. And then it's not being scared of that failure. I mean, I threw myself in the deep end business-wise. I had a job at the civil service um, for six years, hated it, um, took a five grand bank loan out and quit the next day. So I threw myself in deep end, rent to pay, etc., etc., and just went for it. Yeah. So I don't know where that came from. Girlfriend I had at the time was against it. My parents were against it. My parents were probably against it. Um, but I just thought, yeah, yeah just throw it in. Yeah. So where I've been playing football a couple of levels down to what I was capable of now, I had to really find out yeah. and, and see, see what I could do. Um, and that's how, how my journey began really and sure. with all of it just taking that risk mm-hmm. and you have to take them yeah um, we find generally well I find generally talking to people that that first roll of the dice is always scary but there's always this element of sort of excitement and like yeah. this, that there's a reason why I'm doing this and there's a bit of self-belief there you know and, and you're going to go for it and I find that talking to people there tends to be within the first chapter of that journey some kind of success, some kind of like breakthrough or win. If there isn't, most people give up, yeah. right? But if there is, you get a little taste <laughs> of success yeah. and a little yeah. taste of that reward. Now, I'm most interested with people like yourself who have been in it for a number of years now as mm-hmm. to the, you know, the big fall off the back of a success. Like when things was, yeah. were evidently or supposedly going well and then all of a sudden there's this, hang on a minute, that wasn't in the script, that shouldn't have happened like that, it was supposed to be so different, now what? Yeah, I mean I've had a, a few of those. I suppose the, the main one was my sort of career, if you like, took two paths running parallel of each other. I was a um, sports massage therapist um, and I was coaching. And both careers were running parallel quite well. Um, I had a big ambition to work in the Premier League. I realised I'd never do it as a coach. 
because it just doesn't happen unless you've played really at the highest level. Um, and my friend <coughs> was a um, Stuart Sullivan was um, a masseur at Watford at the time. I told him I hated my job and so, so forth. Um, and he said, "Why don't you do what I do?" So I had to actually do give up my weekends. I was giving up football, so that was a risk yeah. to go and learn at the London School of Sports Massage my trade. Yeah. And I, I I qualified in 2004, and I actually got to the Premier League in 2006. Wow! Cause it took me two years. Oh wow! Of course, you can't do that with that nowadays because there's loads of masseurs out yeah. there and it's a lot harder. But back then... And what club of, were you at there? I was at Charlton Athletic yeah. their last year in the Premier League. But I was also um, a coach, a community coach at Southampton Football Club, yeah. um, which is turning the clock back a bit. I, it was my first kind of coaching job was, was there. And when I was training to be a masseur, um, I spoke to Southampton Football Club to say, can I do a little bit for free with mm-hmm. the, the youth team? Um, and this is where, you know, I always say to, to kids, do do more than you get paid for. Go yeah. and volunteer. If you're into doing drama, mm. go and paint sets somewhere or do the lighting. Yeah. And get involved. And yeah. that's what I did. We we had something called the um, the Monday Night Club. Me and my mates, we used to play pool. We had names on the back of our tops. Yeah, yeah. A few beers and stuff. And eventually... After a bit negotiating, they said, yeah, you can come in and do this youth team, but it's on a Monday night. Right. <laughs> and I got hammered for it because I wasn't getting paid and I was giving up my time. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and then I did a year doing that, and then they said, do two nights a week, and then it was to do the reserve team, um, all for free. Okay. But looking back now, that youth team and reserve team had Gareth Bale in it, yeah. Theo Walcott in it, Adam Lallana in it, all these sort of superstars now. Yeah. Um, so you were taking sessions with them, with them in? Yes, well, I, I was doing the massage with them. Right, um, yeah, yeah. So the, and they, were, they would have been, like, what, kids, like They teens? were 16, 17, 18, wow. that sort of Amazing. age group. Yeah. Um, but, of course, I was doing the coaching on the side, so I was picking their brains and wow, yeah. getting access to dressing rooms, yeah. um, well, training like pitches. Two of those players have won the Champions League. I, well, it's incredible. You know, Gareth's won it four times, isn't yeah. it, I think. Um, absolutely amazing. Um, looking back, sure. you didn't know at the time, so again... It was all the risk, but it gave me enough on my CV to apply for jobs yeah. in London because I wanted to get to London. Um, and and Charlton Athletic came in, did a season there, which again we're talking about all the highs. It was a, a, amazing, you know. First game was Man United at home. Wow. Met Ronaldo. Yeah. You know all of these great stories I've got watching Messi train with Argentina, just being the only person out there watching because they hired the. Charlton Athletic training pictures and they kept it quiet didn't know but I was working late um, so I met him got his autograph you know all wow. these amazing stories yeah. I've got I won't bore you with all the all the good ones but it was a great year and then we got relegated yeah and I did a year in the championship um, and the parachute payments ran out and I got made redundant so that was my first real mm. wow this wasn't part of the plan I thought we were doing this forever and of course yeah. I'd given up the coaching by then um, to go on this dream to London mm-hmm. and then I was um, I was pretty nailed on to go to Arsenal and that fell through okay. and then I was nailed on to go to QPR and I even moved to a flat what? near QPR's training ground because yeah. Ian Dowie was the manager there and he was my first manager at Charlton Got you. nailed on to go there, fell through so I was living in London with no job <laughs> um, and yeah rent to pay because I've committed for a year, yeah, um, and I thought this isn't the life for me. I can't. I need something more secure. So I went. 
back to the coaching. Um, but I had to commute back to Salisbury and Andover, which oh, wow. is what an hour and because you were stuck minutes. in London for the year. And I, I remember once, literally, my girlfriend at the time was was away, and I, I didn't have any money, mm. and all my money had run out, <clears throat> um, and I had like a, a penny jar type thing, and I walked all the way to Tesco's, couldn't afford the fuel um, to put it in one of those machines to yeah. to um, to bring it into actual yeah. So you hand in your receipt money. and you get yeah. a bit of money and then I had a choice to make do I spend it on food or do I put fuel in the car to drive all the way back to Andover wow. to do a coaching session yeah. for four kids wow. so I wasn't even paying for it and, and I decided to drive all the way back Shit. and then obviously because I've got friends in this area turned up at a couple of them feed me yeah, yeah. you know and yeah. can I stay here and then went back to London on the Monday and that was a real low point mm. um, but I was aware sure I was aware that I needed to get things going again so yes I had four kids um, didn't even cover the, the venue cost but you have to start somewhere and we got it going again and you know, obviously I'm yeah. glad I did and then the second biggest I think low point was I then things were going great with the coaching and Southampton it came full circle came in for me to be my server the first team there so then I went from obviously doing the youth team to the reserves to now a chance for the first team. Yeah. We're in League One at the time. Okay. And and I went for it. I said I can only do it part time. Yeah. Which was great because I could do the soccer school. Yeah. And I could do that part time. Um, best year of my life, really was. The lads were great. I still keep in touch with a lot of the players now. Um, they weren't quite. I don't know. A superstar as the ones yeah. in the Premier League. They didn't have the swagger. Just about before them. they had their big. Yeah, well, we got promoted. We got promoted that year. Um, like I say, best year of my life. Loved the lads, but I was trying to build the soccer school alongside it. Yeah. And I was working. I was very lucky that we had um, uh, a physio there, Matt Radcliffe, who knew what I was about and that I was doing the coaching. And he used to help me pick the players' brains. And yeah. he, he came to me one day and said, you do a lot of ball work, individual ball work. I'm getting bored with doing rehabs with players at the same old straight line running and this, that and the other. Can you do what we do but put a ball in? Brilliant. So I loved it. So I ended up you know, working with a ball and doing coaching individual side so with Adam, Lalana, Alex Oxley-Chamberlain and anyone else. They're probably the two biggest names that's still around today. But a lot of the lads, but it upset the coaches there because right. they saw me working with players with a ball and I was only a masseur yeah, yeah, okay. and it all sort of came to a head where they said right you can either choose your soccer school and your coaching or stay as a masseur it came to that oh, sure. crossroads um, so I went for I went for the coaching yeah um, which was it was horrendous because I, I absolutely loved it mm. um, I remember like I said I don't cry that much but I, that brought me to tears was when, right. when, I, when I left because I was kind of forced yeah. And of course I didn't know then that we're gonna get promoted again yeah, and get sure. to the Premier League or I might have made a different <laughs> a different choice. But yeah, that was um that was a real low point as well. Um and putting all my eggs in one basket with the with the soccer school. Yeah. Um and trying to make up the money that I was getting from Southampton for part time. Yeah, sure. Um but yeah, that's that's the path I was on and I was more passionate about coaching kids and giving that side back to it than Yeah. Uh, I mean where does that come from? I mean because kids can be a real pain yeah. in the ass, mate. Like, 
you, you devote all that energy and time to, to kids, which, you know, being a, a parent as well and working with kids previously, <laughs> they don't always show their gratitude, mate. Like, no, no. Where does that desire to just serve in that way come from? I don't know. I think I've always... I've been trying to think about why, actually, myself, mm. recently. Um, I think one of the reasons might be that I never got coached. Okay. I, ne- I played for two youth teams. So I played one season at under-13s and one at under-15s. So I must have played, what would that be, 30 games maximum yeah. of youth football. Mm. Then I had a few years off and went straight into men's football. Okay. And I did okay. Mm. I did all right. I wasn't a bad player. You know, depends how you judge a player, but I, I did okay. Um, and I I think it might have stemmed for like, what if? What okay. if I'd have played under sevens, under eights, under nines, under tens, and sure, all the yeah. way through and had some coaching? And I was pretty much self taught. So I played a lot in the playground, played mm. a lot in the street. Mm. One of my soccer schools called Street Soccer. Yeah, yeah. You know, because um, I kept thinking, well, maybe if I'd have been coached or maybe I wouldn't be as good as I am now I was fascinated by it yeah. you know like how do players become good mm-hmm. and obviously when I got to Premier League and I could talk to people like Darren Bent and Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank Andy Reid and and pretty much all of them had said that they played some sort of street football okay. or futsal yeah. or you know whether it was Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank and, and the dust bowls and stuff you know and barefooted and whatever they'd all played just with bunch of mates or mm-hmm. not always people they knew but just mm-hmm. sort of pick up games and kind of fascinated me a little bit mm-hmm. thinking is there a lot of wasted years of coaching okay. so a kid might have gone under sevens all the way through up to under 16s and, and whatever and then a kid who's just done nothing but play in the playground can actually come and be better than them sure yeah it's not right yeah really yeah you know and yeah. is there a way of marrying coaching up with the street philosophy to have something that's very powerful and that's what I was into and doing something different that wasn't being done yeah I did I did my UEFA B which is called the level 3 course really early it was Mm -hmm. in 2000 2001 Um, and I thought it was a load of rubbish it was all geared up for team training and the role of the second defender and getting in behind the full back I thought why is that helping kids okay yeah and it was all right with this drill or game you need 12 of you. And I kept thinking, well, what really? if I've got 13 in my yeah, squad? Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. teach you me some real stuff. Yeah. Sure. Um, so I looked for different alternatives and found Brazilian soccer schools. Yeah. And I thought, this is me. Mm-hmm. It's all individual, ball each, you know, it's a lot of flair and self-expression and that's what ignited my passion mm-hmm. was, was when I stumbled across that because it was something different. Yeah, sure. Um, and so that gave you your your view on what you think was the sweet spot for the potential in kids the, yeah. the the nature the the gifts that DNA has given them yeah. to bring them into an environment where the nurture can really help them to grow and be the best player that they can be and the best human being that they can be yes and you've been doing that now for, for over what over 10 years yeah yeah, well, yeah. and so in that time um, what examples are out there of people who have you know come through and I mean we we've seen the graphic of how many kids have represented clubs and yeah, yeah. that you've helped like tell us some of the success stories of the coaching and the philosophies that you've installed in the kids that have grown up to then be young adults yeah i mean as as a business it's always good to say yeah we've had 20 30 children sign at pro clubs you know it works but actually 
there's a lot more successes than that because mm. I believe in each child, you know, has a potential. What that potential is, we don't know. Yeah. Um, but there are things you can do to help each child fulfil their potential. Yeah. So there's loads of successes mm-hmm. because someone's potential might be to play for England, which mm-hmm. obviously we've got the England under 16 captain came through our soccer school at the moment. But there might be a kid who's playing local football and he's mm. fulfilled his potential because he's yeah, come sure. through. So they're both yeah. successes. If you got you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I'm kind of massive on. Yeah. But you only really see, oh, this lad's playing for Forest Green. So we've got one who's just made his first team debut there, Vaughan. Um, what's he? He's only 16. Wow. Um, he's had two appearances in the EFL Cup for Forest wow. Green. Great. Um, so yeah, there's all these successes but it's not really what it's about yes that makes sense yeah but every child is i I believe kids are are amazing Mm -hmm. and i think often people don't realize what they're capable of Mm -hmm. and then you know you type in youtube amazing kids and Mm -hmm. you'll see drummers at three and skateboarders at four and all of this and you know there are special i I hate the word talent but there are you know kids have so much about them yeah and can you create an environment where those children and every child can flourish mm-hmm. um, and I think conventional coaching often lets them down mm-hmm. because it it can teach children to not teach but it can set an environment where they actually become average yeah. or know better than their coach mm-hmm. because they're, they're getting so overcoached mm-hmm. that they're never going to be better than their coach because they're seeing it through their eyes if that yeah, makes sense yeah, it's, absolutely, yeah. it's difficult and I talk for limits. days on it a little bit but yeah. it's, my, my philosophy is more like Bruce Lee's was with his mm. training philosophy um, sort of yin yang mm. where you've got control and chaos yeah. um, together so my philosophy is you teach them the techniques or show them what's possible mm-hmm. and then you have to then give them the room to express themselves. Sure. You can't teach them things and say, this is how you have to do it. Yeah. You teach them what's possible. Mm. You show them what's possible. You inspire them, mm. um, help them with their techniques, and then they can take out the ones that they like and disregard the rest. Sure. It's not, this is how you do it. Yeah. But you show them what's possible. Mm. But the key to it is you then have to give them the platform, the, the blank canvas, as I call it, mm-hmm. to go and paint on. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It does not work. So what's the best thing about doing what you do? The best thing about doing what I do? It's a very good question, Tommy. Um, the best thing about doing what I do is the successes. Mm-hmm. But it also, talking yin-yang, it goes hand-in-hand hand with, not failures, but it goes hand-in-hand hand with the worst part of the job, which is when a child's doing really, really well, and then they leave. Mm-hmm because some coaches say, come on, play for my team, we're going to win everything, we're the best, and to be the best, you have to play with the best, and all this, and they disappear, and then yeah. you see them again years later, and they're average. Okay. You think, wow, well, you were on this path to fulfilling your potential, we don't know what that potential is. Yeah. No one's got a crystal ball. Is it, that, is it them, or is it the parents that, that uh, caused that? Oh, it's, it's, it's mainly the parents. Okay. They get suckered into it. And yeah. you're kind of a victim of our own success, because... I think parents want to have the, like they want their kid to be the kid that's playing for this team and that's winning this trophy because it's almost like a, <laughs> it's almost like a, a, a sort of blind um, 
belief that they are then successful as a parent. Yeah, I don't think they do it on purpose. Mm. I don't think parents are the enemy. You know, parents always want what's best for their children, mm. quite rightly so. Um, I mean, it's really hard to get it right as a parent. It's oh, very, massively, like, yeah, yeah. My dad, for example, I shared this with you, he wouldn't let me join a team yeah. until I did 20 keep-ups. I shared this with someone just last night. Which is, which it kind of, I think it worked. But then the downside was that the first team I played for, I was the worst player. Mm-hmm. I was the worst player. Not only was I then the worst player, but I was the one that didn't really fit in and the mm-hmm. lads, I weren't really friends with them. Yeah. And then I sort of believed, like I, I went to a cup final that year under 11s and I was on the bench mm-hmm. and we lost 3-0 and I didn't get a single minute. Yeah, so I, I came out of my first season with a, a runners-up trophy to the, <laughs> to the league yeah. and a runners-up uh, cup medal, right? But I didn't score, which is a valid point. They're all saying, you know, whoever doesn't score has to shave their hair off and, yeah. you know, the parents as a joke. But now I'm, like, getting this thing in my head, like, oh, I haven't scored. Yeah. And to be honest with you, that first season made me not really enjoy... It was 11 aside, I was 10. Yeah. I didn't really know what my position was. I didn't really know... No one knew. I didn't, mm-hmm. I don't, I didn't even remember where they played me. But I remember playing and not really enjoying it. I then had to go right back and play 7 aside on the little pitches because yeah. they were still doing that Saturdays and Sundays was big pitches okay. at that time and play for a terrible team yeah. where I was now able to be a good player mm-hmm. and express myself we'd lose most of our games but I'd be learning about teamwork yeah. and you know he's never played before how can we encourage him it brought out personality traits in me it wasn't until I was 16 because mm-hmm. I started at 10 where I then mm-hmm. became what I think would be uh, a decent player mm-hmm. because I had the mindset of I knew how to lose, yeah. right? Because if I stayed in that other team and been on the bench and got all those runners-up medals and winners' medals but never really played a game, yeah. great. My parents would be able to say, oh, our kid won the league again. Yeah. But like, <clears throat> I didn't learn anything. And then for me, I remember going to an under-15s presentation evening and I'm like, I've never won a player's player or a manager's player. And my dad's like, you're going to have your season next year. And I was like, how do you know that? He said, because physically, you're going to catch up with where you're at mentally. And I didn't know what he meant. Okay, yeah, yeah. Played for two teams that year. And I won, like, I'm not even joking or, light or stretching the truth at all. I won player's player and manager's player for both teams. Oh, wow. He's right then. Like, yeah. <laughs> and like, it's really hard for that to happen because you want to give everyone equal chances. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's but I must rare. have just totally shone. Yeah. So did it work? Did it, did it not work? Like, again, it's really hard to... Well, the unfortunate thing to all of it is there's no blueprint. Yeah. Someone else could have followed your blueprint that you just said there and quit. Yeah. And, and never got there. And you can only really connect the dots looking back. And that's the hard part. Mm-hmm. You know, that everyone's different. They've got different wants, needs, potential, different ideas of what fun is. Yeah. There's, there's so much goes... Mums and dads make the decisions. Yes, they do. Um, and quite often they'll say that they're not. They'll say, oh, well, he wants to do this and she wants to do that. Um, but really, the parents normally it's get what they want. convenient yeah. or, you know location or their older brother plays for that team and just makes yeah. sense we can drop them off at the same time yeah so, so how do you kind of protect that and, and at what age do you think you need to go in and and you know nudge the kid 
to make his own decisions or her own decisions at that point? Very, very difficult. Mm. Like I say, there isn't a blueprint. If you're a coach, you look after your players and you get to, to know them as individuals and try and do what's best for each one. So for some of the children, it might be the best thing, I think, for mm. them to go and play for a team. Some of them, I think it's the worst thing they could ever do is go mm. and play for a team mm. or a specific team. Um, so there isn't, there isn't a, a definite answer to mm. all, all of that. But what we find with our soccer school is they get technically brilliant cool. if they're into it. Sure. And of course, then everyone wants them to play for their team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what tends to happen is then they play for one team, two teams, okay. the school, something has to give. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it tends to be us because sure. we haven't got that pot of gold at the end of it like a match yep. or you know the event yeah. the occasion the tournament there's more competing with it now yeah and and I'll be perfectly honest with you a lot of parents get sucked into my kid I'm so proud of him Facebook posts yeah, social oh, yeah. media no, yeah, look at him so. he's brilliant yeah. you know this club want him that club want him he's won this yeah. trophy done that um, I mean it's changed so much when, yeah. when, when I played under 16s one of my friends was at a club another one had trial yeah. you know, a week that was it mm-hmm. we knew a guy that nearly had a trial yeah. you know and, and that was it and, and yeah. they were the best players mm-hmm. hands down they were the best players and there was one other lad that was oh he, he probably is going to get one and he got one for like a lower league team mm-hmm. but he didn't enjoy it so he didn't play he didn't do it right. now like nah and I had a bit of a taste of this when my brother was growing up and he was yeah. like 11, 12 I remember he cried because his friends were all getting scouted and he wasn't. Yeah, it's massive. And then he got scouted by Saints, but my parents didn't tell him because they didn't want to change the way that he was. And he, he, had, he had a great attitude with football. Mm-hmm. If he'd have known that, he might have changed his approach because, you know, who knows? But yeah. Parents are usually the other way around. They'd be like, as soon as that call or email comes in, hey, everyone, yeah. we're so proud of like little Jimmy or Jane because they've been spot, uh, scouted by mm-hmm. this football club to then have a complete dead end, perhaps, yeah. because then the kid is now, oh, well, now mm. I'm something. I've got a purpose. Yeah. But the purpose shouldn't be that. The purpose should be a trait based thing of yeah. go and do your best and how do you how do you measure that because everyone wants to be proud of their kids yeah but it becomes as with all social media you get that dopamine hit and a lot of parents get, get their, all the likes and get their dopamine hit from yeah. saying he scored a hat trick today he's captain today and, and all this kind of thing and you're you're building up the, the pressure on that child without yeah. them even yeah. realising it yeah and it's so easy for the kids and it, well, everyone to just benchmark what success looks like yeah. as the top. Yeah. You see some of these shots of kids celebrating their wins, you know, cup win. They want a, yeah. they want a little they want a little thing that looks like Wembley because that's what success looks like. So they, you know, yeah. the, the people who put the event on or whatever, they've Exactly. they've made it look like that and so it means that's what I'm am and what happens is other parents see other people's posts and think I want my kid I want some of that I want my kid to do and that and then puts pressure on people like you to go why aren't yeah. why aren't you well, they go chasing it yeah they go chasing that dopamine hit on yeah. that Facebook and yeah, it might yeah. sound ridiculous to people that are listening but it, it's a genuine thing and when that you know they can be at a club and sort of there's no more Facebook posts and things to be had they'll go and find another yeah. 
say, oh, yeah. so-and-so came in for they my kid. They just want to be in that, in yeah. that energy. Yeah. Because that's what success tastes like in their brain at the moment in the world that we're, we're in. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, you can understand as well from the club's point of view is why they would cast their net so deep and wide. Yeah. Because economically, it makes sense to break... 79 hearts to get one that ends up being sold for 15 million in five years time for example just keeping that whole economy of the club alive by making sure they're the club that gets the talent because it's supply and demand at the end of the day now obviously there's been restrictions on location and travel yeah yeah and it's miles better than it was but i mean i am a scout for southampton football club yeah so i i see it from both sides yeah um and i always moaned about academies and pro clubs and hated it with a passion but rather than moan about it I got involved I got mm. asked to get involved mm. um, which was ironic because I've been um, sort of hammering the system for years and then I thought well rather than moan about it I'll get in and try and see what it's about and yeah. change well, it well you've got to be the change yeah um, and ironically it was back at Southampton Football Club yeah. where I've been sort of not let go, but been given the ultimatum. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny interesting how, how that happens. It's funny how things work out, and I'm yeah. the, I'm the lead coach for the pre academy development centre yep. for Southampton in cool. Salisbury. Anyway, Stephen Gerrard, notoriously biggest regret or biggest sort of miss, yeah. didn't win the Premier League. Yeah, you can see how much it hurts him when he's talking about it, but there is no doubt in my mind, at least that he is going to be such a better manager yeah. because he didn't win it. Because there's almost like this... Even me, I'm a Man United fan, and I'm like, it's really... It's a shame that mm-hmm. he didn't win it because everything else and whatever, yeah. and how close he came. But now, because he hasn't, he's going to have a chip on his shoulder. As a manager, he's going to be able to look his fucking players in the eye and be like, you're going you're gonna to be able to do something that I never... And he's yeah. going to go... He's going to fuel like, them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's changed him as a as a person which will change him as a manager because that's what he puts his passion and his time into and I think like you you cannot you you cannot go through like even Ronaldo and Messi you could say what's their loss not winning the Ballon d'Or when the other one did yeah and what did that do for the other one usually they went and won it again yeah um, well they pushed each other on if one hadn't existed you know yeah the other one probably wouldn't have got to the heights that they had they kind yeah. of sort of relied on each other and, and needed each other you have to lose Yes, and you have to face adversity. Mm. But, you know, it's, it's with most things, it's the outcome and process. With, yeah. with, you can pretty much put it to anything. Well, I guess like a, a nice way to sort of bring it all together now at the end here is that you look at the people that we've talked about. Yeah. You look at the Ronaldos, you look at the Messis, you look at the, the Skullses, Gerrards, Lampards, even, you know, you didn't mention his name, but young Charlie, who has come through the ranks with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, Charlie Webster. Yeah. Um, shout out. Yeah, once so, a watch. Exactly. <laughs> um, they have all, like, whether it was early on in their career or whatever, at the right time, they've had the setback. Paul yeah. Scholes missed the Champions League final. Yeah. Got suspended. People always remember Roy Keane missing that final in 99, but so did Paul Scholes, um, which was the adversity, it was the thing that stung, it was the, the pain that they had to feel or the failure in order to do something next. But they all had, probably, a person close by that helped them look in the right direction. And that mm-hmm. is what you are doing day in, day out with whether it's hands-on in your sessions, whether it's yeah. with the podcast, with the social media, with the, the passion that you have for football. Yeah. People can look at you and they know they're going to get a productive 
um, passionate help without an agenda. And I think that's what's so great about what you're doing, because if they didn't have that, who knows where that energy might go. Thank you for doing what you do for, for such pleasure. an important part of our culture um, and, you know, working where it's most important with future generations. Uh, it's really admirable. And thank you for sharing your story and yeah, no elements worries. of your experiences along the way. So, Perry, yeah. thank you for being here. Right, it's been pleasure. an absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you Appreciate very much, it. mate. Cheers. Good man. Deeper into the truth. Hey, if you found that enjoyable if you learnt something or you just want to get involved in the conversation then please on twitter or instagram at tommy gentleman let me know who you are let me know where you are in the world get involved in the conversation i look forward to chatting soon cheers